0: Welcome back to Sixes and Sevens brought to you by InvestoBet.com. Now, we've got a little bit of a change to the podcast from the normal thing that we do. As I sat down last week with Mr. James Horncastle, Italian football expert and TV pundit for BT Sport, we met up down in London, had a quick chat over a little bit of dinner uh, down in a cafeteria to uh, talk about how James got into Italian football, how you go from being a Yorkshire-born lad to suddenly covering the beautiful game on the other side of Europe, and and his thoughts on the way journalism is going, on the influences that affect journalists these days, on how to get into the industry itself, and of course a little bit of 90s Italian football talk as well. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, you're a man that's renowned throughout the UK for your work on Italian football mm. as a writer and as a broadcaster. and. We sat here at BT Sport before you go on air. So what's, what's more important, the pen or the, uh, the vocal word, if you will? Oof.
1: I think um, these days you have to be across all platforms. Um, mm. you know, Both print, online, broadcast. Um, spread yourself as far as possible. Um, I think there was a time when um, print certainly was more valued, but... Um, I think that has become more and more diffuse um and in some respects broadcast is i think you get more exposure um on broadcast because you have you have a captive audience really and a sustained audience over so many hours um so yeah it's but as i say, i think uh if you spread yourself across all of these things do anything If it's even if it feels new be an early adopter get involved you know podcasting for example uh, I think podcasting was a big part of, of, of sort of my um, I don't want to say emergence but it gave me a, it gave me a platform that I, I might not otherwise have had um, to, to speak give my opinion on things and um, uh, and sort of be be recognised in some way and I think uh, yeah so so be, dare to use a, uh, a hideous term, be sort of multi platform.
0: Multi platform. That's kind of like one of those millennial buzz kind of phrases, oh, isn't yeah. it? The, across every, do you Instagram as well? Obviously, your presence on Twitter, you're, yeah. you're on the TV, written stuff. You still do podcasts like Sixes and Sevens here for Investor Bet. I mean, do you get into the Instagram and Snapchatting and, and all that kind of stuff as well?
1: Um, not Instagramming and, and Snapchatting. Um, With hair
0: like that, I mean, surely. <laughs> that, <laughs>
1: I find uh, Twitter to be kind of all-consuming, really. It was the first social media that I kind of adopted. Um, I didn't even adopt it with my work in mind at first, but it, it's played a huge part in my career, I'd say, because um, uh, it's a self-publishing platform, a self-promotional platform in many ways. Um, it's, yeah, I think in in days gone by this industry used to be about kind of who you know um, whereas with with Twitter I think it kind of democratized that you you could you kind of you don't have to have that kind of fortunate encounter of running into someone um, and yeah impressing them um, you know in say in the pub or drinks or um, you know if you go on I don't know work experiences to a newspaper or to a TV channel um, you can get noticed in lots of Ways on on Twitter, I think, and you can. It's an incredible networking tool. Um, you know the, the the amount of work you're able to kind of generate for yourself from there um, by getting yourself noticed on there um, uh, is, is remarkable. And um, you know, not not by being sensational, but just being true to yourself. And um, yeah, I'd say yeah, Twitter Twitter was a, a big has been a big part. Um, in, in, in my career um,
0: Do you get inundated with then the, James can you read this article I've written for my blog post kind of tweets directed towards you then for kind of feedback and perhaps to get that kind of self-promotion for, for aspiring journalists
1: so. Yeah, um, I do and I get emails and I, I try to respond to as many as um, as I can um, I always thought that that a, a better way was to keep writing Persevere, put it out there. Maybe tag some people that um, you um, respect or, or, or people who are in the same field or have a specialty in what you're writing about, and um, and get noticed that way, um, rather than ask for feedback. Because I, I think um, it's. It's, it's hard really i don't really see myself as being any better at writing than anyone else out there. Um, I think at the end of the day it is about perseverance and kind of creating your own luck really um, you know I, I I would say that you know whilst whilst I was in Italy writing um, you know I mean the only thing that happened to me was I kept writing kept kept tweeting little bits of information here and there. James Richardson um, picked up on some of it and asked if I wanted to come onto the Football Weekly podcast, and um, I did, and and that and things kind of spiraled from there, really, um, without me kind of I'd say actively courting that, if you if you, mm. if you know what I mean, um, but um, yeah, I think I think Twitter, it's certainly in journalism, is. is I think is more important than, um, than Instagram and, and Snapchat, just because, um, yeah, I, I think pe- people on Twitter more, I think, for, I don't know, to reflect what's going on in their industry and to, you yeah, they they follow people who are in their industry. Whereas, I think, well, my experience with Instagram is I follow my friends, I follow dogs um <laughs> follow followed yeah music bands and absolutely more of whereas twitter for me is is mainly I, I used to
0: yeah unless you're putting your article on the side of a dog james horncastle isn't gonna see it on instagram yes, unfortunately, yes. unfortunately kind of yeah.
1: thing. <laughs> exactly so um so yeah I, I i i guess my wider point there is to be to concentrate on twitter Mm. rather than trying to spread yourself across all of those platforms sure. Sure. even though I remember being told at a sort of editorial meeting before World Cup that um, we should use start using Facebook from a professional point of view because with Twitter I think your average tweet has something like a shelf life of 20 minutes people refresh 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 and they follow so many people that it gets lost very quickly um, whereas um, with Facebook Facebook um, you follow maybe fewer people. You're friends with fewer people. Um, it seems to be there for longer, um, and you, know, you will get more true, I um, say, readers, audience figures than you might necessarily on on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, uh, you know, I, I try to just concentrate. I will publish only things on Twitter. I won't publish things on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, stuff sure. like that.
0: So when you uh, when you started out in Italian football journalism mm. in
1: particular first and
0: foremost before actually we get into that I'd like to know how you got sucked into the world of Serie A because <laughs> speaking as somebody that grew up watching Gazetta at eight o'clock in the morning as a very young kid yeah. I, that was quite easy to get sucked into and mm. led to kind of following around AC Milan around Europe and stuff like that but for yourself I mean how do you take that enthusiasm from maybe seeing it on a Saturday morning to suddenly right I'm going to make this a profession make my career out of it
1: I suppose I always wanted to be in journalism uh, and write because um, that was a big uh, influence on me. Uh, it sold the lifestyle, uh, well, a lifestyle more than a James Richardson sat and eating ice fresh. creams and exactly. everything. Yeah. I think <laughs> a lot of people wanted to be in his his position, um, and um, uh, that was that dominated my weekend. Yeah, Saturday morning, Sunday afternoon, um, and. Uh, Italy is such a a wonderful country really, Um, I wanted to go, Um, I was lucky, I mean it's different for all people, the thing is like when you ask you know what is your career path it's not there's not there's no kind of it's not straight it's not A to B, it it kind of like um, it's a very winding path really, it goes off on lots of tangents, meanders everywhere and for me, you know, I met my wife at university, um, she had been to Italy, she spent a year there before she um, she went um, to, uh, to uni. She didn't really want to be at uni after having that experience, so we went back every kind of half term, end of year, um, and then when we graduated we went to live there. Um, and uh, you know I did not do Italian at university I did um, I did history um, and uh, I suppose that's one of the reasons why I quite like telling stories and that sort of thing giving a historical context or angle to things but yeah that that period in my life of living in Italy having to learn Italian but also really wanting to learn Italian because you know when you're out there um, it's that was a major breakthrough for me um, I didn't excel at languages at school. Um, Italian wasn't even an option for me at school. It was Spanish, French, or German. And um, but I, I went there. I went to went to Italian school whilst I was there. I bought all the sports papers every every day, and I think that for me was um, a way of learning Italian that was actually fit me because you know I had a passion for Italian football, and the best way for me to learn Italian, in some in some respects, was listen to all the radio programs about football, which is so many. <laughs> Watch all the TV programmes uh, about Italian football which go on for like you know four hours on a on a on a Saturday and a Sunday night, and pick up Gazeta, Corriere della Sport, La Repubblica, Tutto Sport, um, and, and go through them. Um, and and yeah, obviously just living out there. Um, that's that that's my sort of biggest recommendation, biggest takeaway from from that was you know, if you're serious about writing about another league go out there live out there experience it um we had a runner here um, on our european football show archie rin tut and rafa and i said look you love the bundesliga why don't you go and live out there and archie um you know went to live in cologne and commuted to and from here um like you do it's an easy trip isn't it you know cologne well, to i London. mean that's <laughs> the thing i mean flying to Germany eh, 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 to and from Germany is you'd be amazed is cheaper than for example me going back to see my parents on the train in Yorkshire you know it's, uh, it's that's that's the situation situation we're in um, but living abroad opens your mind um, and uh, you know just just because you might not have excelled at language in school that if you're there and all of a sudden your pipes burst in your flat and you need to call a plumber um, you yeah, those it. are the best experiences that you can have, and that for me was better than the three years that I spent. At, yeah, the four years that I was out. in Italy were better than the three years I spent at university. God knows how many years I spent at school. Um, they were, uh, they were everything really. And look, if I'd just been an English guy growing up in English, growing up in England, sorry, um, wanting to write about the Premier League. I would never have made it because the the, 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 the competition out there is so fierce. Uh, everyone wants to write about English football and uh, wants to follow the Premier League, and there are only so many spots. Whereas with with um, I mean, this was never conscious in my mind when I decided to write about Italian football because that is my number one passion. That's yeah, it's a dream for me to do what I do. But in hindsight, looking back at it, I was like, well, actually, you know, maybe there are only. Yeah, a few voices in that respect. There's, there's, um, Gabriele Marcotti, there's Paolo Bandini, um, and yeah, those are guys I look up to and, and enjoy working with. And um, there's, there's there's more space for 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 us to do that than than there, there, there is maybe for um, to, to work in the Premier League. Um. Well,
0: especially with the kind of negativity that seems to surround Serie A for the last ten years as well. It's oh, not yeah. a league that many people for a long time have been interested in at all because after the scandals mm. and you know that time from the great 1990s yeah. has faded rapidly and it, now it's kind of back on the uptake again and
1: mm.
0: I suppose there's you're in hot demand now kind of thing as, seria, as the league gets better it's, it's great for the likes of yourself Marcotti and Bandini the names you mentioned there to to throw them, their names right back in the hat again and say hey look this is a great league let's get some attention yeah. over here and let's see what's I going I mean you say that <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, is, it is a great season um, not good for the, the Italian at the Nationals no um, <laughs> but it's a it's a very captivating year in Serie A at the moment um, it's not like in Spain or uh, sorry, it's not like in France or Germany where um, the league looks like it's already over um, yeah there are five teams that have a realistic shot of winning it but I think what you see as a journalist, particularly as a freelance journalist um, is that um, interesting stories about Italian football on a weekly basis, let's say, it's not, it's not high. Um, yeah, if you're an editor at a sports desk and uh, yeah, you want, to, you want to commission stories about the Premier League, interviews to do with the Premier League, um, uh, the big clubs abroad, so Barcelona, Real Madrid, obviously, um, Bayern Munich... And now, and this wasn't always the case, um, but Juventus, um, the rest, uh, you know, people are not um, are not so uh, not so interested in it. It's hard to actually find a space where you can maybe talk about, say, what Sampdoria are doing this season or what Atlanta did last season. Um, and I can imagine for people who you know want to get into writing about, say, Italian football that's tough because you know if, if you're yeah money in certainly print and online journalism isn't isn't great and yeah I, I can imagine that after a few months of trying it it it's it's hard you can find yourself turning away from it um, you've just got to trust in yourself um, your own ability and um, uh, and if it's your passion and you know it's a little bit like uh, it's, it's a little bit like Maurizio Sadi the Napoli coach who used to be working banking had a very secure job earned a lot of money doing that and his passion was football and he was like it's the only job I do for free never work for free by the way that's, that's one thing it's the only job I do for free and he you know, started in non-league football and you know 55 eventually he's in, he got into Serie A so similar in journalism you know at the end of the day you, there are going to the first few years are very hard you know um Trying to make uh, make ends meet uh, doing that, but you know, it, I think if you if you're passionate about it, you, trust yourself. Keep going. Eventually, hopefully, yeah, that's what you gotta think. Hopefully, you you, you will get recognised and you will get the the space you you deserve. You're almost lining yourself up from a bombardment on
0: Twitter of Hey, can you listen to this post? Can you read this? Can you do this? Because I'm still gonna stick with it for like three years from thousands of people mm. just saying, James, help us out, over So uh, good luck with siphoning through all the uh, James Horncastles that you're gonna get in the next. Uh, well, next I would say
1: like, you know uh, if you, if you want to do that, that's fine. Like, I mean, my advice has always been. Um, yeah, the sky's the limit. Really, never put, a, um, never be afraid of getting in touch with anyone. Um, yeah, always put yourself out there. Um, yeah, send emails, tweets to anyone and everyone um, because you never know. You might get an opportunity that way. Um, and um, yeah, never think. For example, oh, I'm a little bit um, yeah, say afraid of. Um, sending a message to the sports desk at one of the major papers um uh, because you know i don't have enough experience do it um because you know you might get a you might get some work experience you might get a commission even you might um and and something might come of that so um yeah never be never think oh never be kind of intimidated by anything just go for it that's what i would say it's um it's a difficult place to kind of
0: put yourself in now, I guess, mm. to think about those times when you were struggling grafting through, because would, would you say that yourself personally as a freelancer now in particular, that you're, you're quite settled? I mean, you are everywhere and pretty much one of the voices in the UK on mm. Italian football.
1: Mm.
0: When do you think you found that safe point? Do you ever feel safe? Or is it, <laughs> I mean, are you always kind of checking over your shoulder of what's up on the horizon, where contracts are going, where...
1: Where stories are kind of coming from i think um you've just got to keep uh, keep grinding um because it's a very fickle industry you know um we had a tv show at bt for three years um and it got cancelled uh and you know every every sunday we'd go in and you, you know you would never take it for granted because tv is what it is but that's gone you all all of a sudden you you look at that and you think i have to make that up somewhere um and uh yeah you look at the world cup you know you think i'll oh, you know, I'm I'm grateful that I didn't book anything to go to Russia because I yeah there's no point in me being there, um, yeah because yeah all of a sudden Italy you who know, qualify for every World Cup since, 19, since 1958 don't make it, mm-hmm. so there are all these all these things yeah that's life you know all these things that um, no sooner do you, do you feel settled than something makes you unsettled and you have to adapt you have to. Uh, trust your instincts you have to keep going you have to find the opportunities you have to be your own kind of best salesman um, and um, and always kind of never lose hope that something else will will come up um, or or you know do something that you haven't yet done You know, uh, write a book or um, I don't know set up a new podcast or um, things like that it, it it keeps you on your toes definitely um, uh, i don 't think anyone in journalism now can feel settled because you know you see you know, jobs at places like ESPN um, being being cut or you see newspapers scaling down and um, you know it 's well even yeah. the TV stations i mean sky have lost plenty of jobs
0: this yeah. year and just using freelancers a lot of the time as well I mean. yeah
1: so um, so yeah it's, it's yeah i, I can 't say um, you ever feels settled, and that's that's something that even when you speak to very experienced people in this industry who've been in it for decades they say you know it's it always changes you know you can't always you can't rely can't think that you're going to have the same gig for 5, 10, 15 years it doesn't mm. yeah it doesn't really exist
0: well unless you're James Richardson who seems to just stay <laughs> in that same role of presenting European football all the time and a, yeah. a man you know very well of course who you'll mm. be sat alongside today um Obviously, it's a job that brings you a lot of joy, and um, it's clear if, if Italian football is your passion and mm. you're into sport, working in it and being surrounded in it. If you can't play it, get involved in it somehow. Yeah,
1: well, that was definitely the case with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> didn't did cut the mustard at Brescia then, alongside Pirlo, is uh, n- n- no, like that. No, no,
1: I wouldn't have even got a trial for Brescia's under <laughs> 12s as a as a thirty three year old. So yeah. yeah, I can join you in that one then. Yeah.
0: I think. But um, what what about the low moments? Have, have there been Low moments for you when you've thought, "I can't do this job anymore." And where have you got to a point? How have you found the kind of inspiration to get through those? I mean, not not to get too deep into your personal life or anything as well.
1: (laughs) No, I think look, there are pressures because you know when you when you start out and you um, you're writing lots and lots um, for very little, um, you do think you know, where's this going and yeah you've got um peer pressures you know at the end of the day if you see friends who are you know um doing well um and uh, you think well that yeah that could be me if i'd maybe taken another decision but at the end of the day um what always kept me going is i love the job i'm very very very, very passionate about it and not all of them can say that about you know working insurance or working in in uh As an estate agent or um, even working in law or something like that you know I I always I I think to some extent education in this country is problematic because they all want you to kind of do the same thing which is you know be a lawyer be a doctor all kind of just safe jobs really Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the other jobs I think involve a lot of risk um, imagination um, creativity and um, and, you know that, that that means that if, if you're, you need to be willing to take that risk you you know what the the downside is and you know there could be a massive upside as well um, um, so yeah I think t- to begin with th- those pressures were there um, and as I said it's a very fickle industry and no sooner do you think you've got one thing that's uh, a guarantee and it's mm-hmm. gone and um, uh yeah those things keep you honest keep you humble and keep you kind of um yeah in some respects there's quite a lot of excitement i would say i don't know why but there's excitement in if if one thing goes you have to find something else you have to get creative that's yeah there is a kind of i don't know it, um gives you a bit of a buzz um and uh so so yeah that's that's why I put about
0: that. Let's move away from your career then, because mm. uh, I mean, we could talk to death about where you've been, who you've written for, and but I mm. want to talk about. Obviously, we've got you here to talk Italian football as mm. well. What was your first love in Italian football? Obviously, you moved out to to Rome and mm. and, and always seemed to enjoy the sport. What was the first side that you really fell kind of that that is the football that I love watching um. and enjoying.
1: The first um, team, and I don't support them, was uh, uh, Lippi's uh, Juventus. Um, I remember Del Piero's goal against Fiorentina. Um, I think I got that on like a... I got like a Gazeta goals of the season. I've got um, that same video. (laughs) VHS, which I used to watch over and over again. And um, yeah, they they were not on, they were not only on sort of you know Channel Four at that time. You'd see them on ITV as well because they they'd go to the Champions League final more or less every year um, between '96 and '98. And uh, there was a, there was a kind of glamour about Juventus in that. Um, I always remember you know you see Marcello Lippi puffing on a big cigar, um, looking like Paul Newman. You'd see. You know the players come off sort of in winter time and been given these kind of what looked like just normal track tracksuit kind of trench coat jackets, but with, they were lined with fur. I <laughs> um, just thought, wow, this is this is this football is different from what I'm seeing, you know, here in, in England. <laughs> um, but I, I suppose it was the, the the depth in the league in general. You know, I mean um, that really kept your interest. Um, yeah, you looked at sort of the best players in the world. Ronaldo going to going to Inter. I mean, yeah, that is like Neymar going to PSG this summer. Really, that that's that, that's how big it was then. Um, you look at yeah, Battistuta at, at Fiorentina, Totti emerging at Roma, uh, Buffon making his debut with with Parma. Um, yeah, all of those all of those things. Put together, were again this horrendous management speak, but sort of a great product, really. Um, and um, yeah, really colourful characters and uh, great stories. Um, and that's the thing: Italian football has never stopped churning out sensational stories, um, even in the lean years. Um, and yeah, that's that's something that has always. Um, Kept me, kept me interested. Made me love it, um, even when there are certain moments where you think I really should hate this. <laughs> um, but, um,
0: but yeah, it's amazing the number of those 1990s Italian sides that crop up now on social media. Is that? Oh yeah. There's, I think there's one called something like 90s Football, yeah. and it's basically all about Italian football. No other teams really feature. And it. it's look at this Parma side. Look at this Juventus lineup. Look at best of Battistuta's goals from yeah, Fiorentina. Yeah. I mean, it was the golden age of of modern football if you will it was almost like the building blocks of the modern football era that we're in started in italy and mm. it so, sometimes seems kind of forgotten when you've got the hype and the buzz and the colorful kind of graphics all around the premier league now
1: yeah without doubt. um yeah the kind of whole idea of taking the league onto a satellite and making you pay for it you know that was that was city it was berlusconi and then you know a number of other kind of rivals kind of Came to the fore, which have now been kind of bought by um, Sky Italia. Um, yeah, you look at um, how dominant the league was in those years. You know, Italian teams would often play all Italian Champions League, UEFA Cup, Cup Winners Cup finals. And they'd practically win it all the time. Um, every Ballon d'Or winner at that in, in in those days seemed to be in Italy. Um, and yeah, they would buy great players without necessarily needing them. Um, you know, I mean, um,
0: the equivalent of a fur jacket at halftime, kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like. and
1: I think, um, uh, yeah, people talk about the Premier League. Yeah, we always have this debate in this country, partly because it's really driven by Sky as being the best league in the world. And um, but y- you look at Serie A in the late the 80s and the 90s. I mean, you can't really compare it. I mean. Uh, that I don't think any league has, has been that dominant over such a sustained period as Serie A was then um, you know, the, the idea that you could have a Maradona at Napoli who remember had never won anything before he came there Zico, Udinese um, Platini and Boniek at Juventus um, Falcao, Tonino Cerezo at, um, at Roma um, all those things which then followed into the, into the 90s um, you know, it was as they say in Italy, it's Campionato Più bello del mondo, the, the most beautiful league in the world, and they've always kind of mm, tried to hold on to that tag. And it's obviously slipped away. Um, there's a decadence about Serie A, which I think now that the the final members of that generation are retiring, it's kind of it's it's, it's having a kind of fresh look, fresh face. But, um, yeah, I don't think it was anything that can really compare to Serie A in, in, in that era. And
0: particularly with the competitiveness almost across the top half of the table as yeah. well, unlike the Premier League, which a lot of the time comes down to one or two clubs. You look mm. at Spain, Barcelona, Madrid all the time. Germany's a one-horse race a lot of the time. You know, Serie A, the title race may not have been as expansive outside of Juventus or Milan sometimes, mm. but in European competition, you know, Fiorentina were tearing sides apart. Palma were all excellent in the UEFA Cups. Mm. And Lazio and Roma were thereabouts with, like, Signore, Casaraghi. <laughs> was yeah. doing well for the international side as well for Italy, for the Azuri it's just, it's so different to what we're now kind of accustomed to mm. these days in the modern football And you'd almost be, it'd be better if that was now in terms of the indulgence that we'd have It's football's more accessible for the mm. modern day football fan it could have taken the league even further than it already kind of went in the 1990s
1: yeah, I think the regret from City's point of view is is that the league suffered its biggest scandal at a time when the money in football was becoming even more transformational than it had been before, and um, and all the time they spent squabbling over Calciopoli and some of the other scandals, yeah, when their energy could have been focused elsewhere to being. Um, selling Serie A as, as a great product um but they're obviously unable to do that when you know after, after what happened in 2006 um but you know that's been the that's been the flaw in the league for for the last you know 10, 10 years really is that they've never had someone at the head of say Serie A um who could go out and give the league a presence outside of Italy um Sell it well, um, make it, uh, market it as a product that people would want to continue watching and, and have an interest in, and, and drive revenues that way. You know, you can, you can name the the head of La Liga, Javier Tebas. You can name the head of the Premier League, Richard Scudamore. You can name the head of Bundesliga, Christian Seifert. You can't name the head of Serie A, partly because at the moment there isn't a president of Serie A. But even even when Beretta was in charge, you wouldn't you wouldn't have known who he was. And uh, I think. Um, the league in that respect has been allowed to drift and um you know only juventus have kept up appearances mm. modernized really and i think people other clubs are now catching up and there is an opportunity now that the national team is uh it's not qualified for the for the world cup for there to be some introspection and to think actually we need to make some big big changes that um you know it could be a reset moment you know just as yeah, Germany's relative failure in Euro 2000 was for them. Um, so, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have to see how what what, the, what happens really over the next nine months. And with
0: IMG with the selling rights as well, mm. that's only a big brand to put behind globalising Serie a as, a as a marketable product. as Yeah, well.
1: and I think um, it's an it's an interesting subject. You know, sort of how penetrative these leagues are in this country because the Premier League is so dominant um um you know and yeah our experience working at BT was that you know um outside of the 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 Scottish League um and um Real Madrid and Barcelona games the league that did best was was Serie A because there's greater familiarity about that from it being on terrestrial TV in the in the 90s um but even then you know you're not talking and getting half a million uh he's TV saying players. when I did
0: the Rome Derby on the weekend then <laughs> I wasn't getting 1.5 million <laughs> tuning in um, destroyed you
1: crushed <laughs> my dream but that's that's <laughs> where like you, there's a there's a sense of really you, you have to kind of step outside your own bubble and, mm. and, and realize that you know whereas there are obviously people who um, um. Uh, ask James and I questions about City. A um and you know regularly do it Um, and we'd have like a regular niche uh, of of, of people who watch the show Um, you know it's not what it was in the 90s partly because not only because of the standard of football but because it's not on terrestrial TV it's not on it's not getting the exposure um, um, that it was you you get a a wonderful hardcore um, out there who are super passionate about it Um, but um, you know, that's that. That's that's the for passion, for people who are passionate about Serie A like I am. That's the kind of reality is that you know, um, uh, the 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 figures for those games. Well, the figures for for any game, as I say, outside of Real Madrid and Barcelona, in in uh, just don't compare with the Premier League um, uh, in this country.
0: <laughs> Let's hope at least they uh, continue watching in Italy. Then. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, I think.
1: Uh, yeah that's that that's going to be quite interesting with the TV rights deal. I mean they've always had this uh, the second biggest domestic TV rights deal out of outside of outside of the UK, you know. Um that's where they get, they've got a lot of money over the years and the the question is is did they spend it well enough and um you know maybe they should have been spending it on infrastructure and you know new stadiums new academies and that sort of thing rather than um uh you know, blowing it on 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 certain players who who um, didn't do what they wanted uh, yeah, didn't wanted quite live up to it yeah exactly say. But uh, maybe
0: subsidising right. as well so more fans get into the games and yep. fill the stadiums as well because that's always one of the sad things I think one of the that. great
1: things about the moment at uh, the moment in Italy is you are seeing fans go back to the stadium partly mm. because I think the the title race is, is, is not just a monologue um, with Juventus and it's not just kind of you're thinking oh maybe Roma maybe Napoli can can take the challenge you're making you a case for them but you know there are four or five teams who legitimately in the big big teams I mean you could got Inter Inter you know now getting fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 every week uh, at San Siro uh, Roma and Lazio since they ended their, their Ultras ended their dispute with their local authority about Plexigras and the Cordova um, you're now getting 50,000 50, there as well um, and that's fantastic to see because I think you know if you're a, if you're not in Italy and you're not going to games and you're watching them on TV, as Andrea Agnelli, the events president has always said, it's not, it's not good from an aesthetic point of view to be watching a game and see empty seats. And you know, oftentimes it's, you know, the cameras fall on, are in, uh, games where there are running tracks, they fall on those first few tiers of seats where nobody sits, A, because they're super expensive and B, because you're, you're, you can't get a good view because they're, they're running track in between you, but it doesn't look good. And that's why, you know, we have seen moves for, um, to build stadiums which are fit for football and only football. And, but, um, but, yeah, it's, um, hopefully we'll see more progress in that respect as well.
0: James, I know you've got to get on to the show <laughs> and onto the set and everything, so I'll leave it there for now, mate. But thank you very much for the quick half an hour down here and Pleasure. really appreciate it, mate. Good. Thanks a lot. Thanks.